Welcome to Sunday School. I'm going to tell you the story, Silver and Seed. Once there was a farmer that planted M&Ms in his garden. In the middle of the night, Hello Kitty came and stole the M&Ms. And then he plants them again. Batman comes and takes them away. He planted more, and then this guy named Roy came and ate some of a lot of the M&Ms too. And, and then he plants them again, and then tree will come. The big tree with M&M's on it. And then the M&M's were on the tree and then they all fell down. And Hello Kitty Batman and Roy all came and ate them all up and they let the farmer have some too. That's the end. Hey Cornerstone, how we doing? I like that. Hey, I'm out here today real quick because I want to introduce you to somebody that maybe you already know, but I want to tell you a story that you don't know. Okay, you can clap. We're going to do this don't a couple clap. times. You can't do it too much. Pastor Lynn was supposed to be in speaking today. I called Tim yesterday and said, dude, is there any way that you can speak today? Now, he was 15 minutes away from going on vacation to Texas, and he decided <laughs> to stay here, study all day yesterday, and deliver this message today. <laughs> so with Pastor Lynn sick, two things. Please pray for him, but also please pray for Tim today. Definitely. Um, please pray for Tim wrong. today. I'm sorry. No, that was, oh, that that was, was right. <laughs> Tim does our college-age ministry, Camber, all kinds of things around here. You've heard how good of a speaker he's become over the years. We're very, very proud of him. I don't think, I don't know, but I don't think Tim's ever had a Dude. standing ovation. Let's do it today. Come on. My friend, Mr. Tim Beals. Get away from me. I'll sit down. Uh, this is why you turn your phone off right on the weekends. Thank you. Uh, man, thank you guys so much for that. Thank you for being here. If you're a guest, definitely thanks for being in the house with us. If you're in Scottsdale, Santan, thank you guys for all you're doing out there. If you're in the overflow, that's where I'm normally at right now. So thanks for whoever has my seat and for being back there. Yeah, that's the party. Y'all are missing it in here. I'm telling you, the good stuff happens back there. Um, hey, thanks for being here. Super glad and excited about doing this. Um, I started last night just trying to figure out, man, what in the world with this series, like things that Jesus say, what does Jesus say? <laughs> I mean, that seems easy until you start trying to think about what are some of the things that Jesus says. And so I started just reading nonstop pretty much everything written in red because that was things Jesus said. So it made sense. And I started seeing this theme just continuously, man, over and over and over and over and over. And it seems like every time Jesus spoke, this one central theme kind of came out. And to me, it seemed like this one central just truth and what he said was kind of woven into everything that he said. And it was, it was almost pivotal to everything that he said. And no matter who he was talking to, this one truth, central truth, just kind of just birthed. And today, this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to walk us through that truth. And for some of us, it's going to be really, it's, it's going to be easy and kind of fundamental. And you're going to, some of us are going to sit there and be like, yeah, I get that. Um, stay with me. Because I think there's a part in this that maybe we get and we're too custom. I don't know, we're too comfortable with it that we lose sight of the power behind it. 
Some of you, though, you walked into this room today, and I'm going to say some things in just a minute that I guarantee you, you're going to sit there and you're going to think there's no possible way that that's true for me. It may be true for everybody else, but that can't be true for me. And just hear me now, it is. So hold on. You might need to stretch because get ready because it, it is not only true for you, but it's truth in spite of you, and that, that's huge. And then some of us, as we walk through this today, you're, you're just going to kind of be in the middle ground and try to figure this out. Just let this truth sink in, because I know this with all my heart, man. I know that if we can take this truth, if we can take this fundamental truth of, of what God is trying to teach us and what Jesus was trying to teach us, we can take this truth and we can anchor our soul to it. It's going to hold us tight whenever the world hits and we start to drift, and it's going to keep us from drifting too far. It's, it's a fundamental, it has to be the basis of who we are, truth, because if it is, we can grab hold of this and it, it can secure us during some really rough times. So th this is a really simple truth. To get there... And stay with me for a minute. We're going to spend some time in Luke, but to get to Luke, we're going to have to go to Genesis. So it's going to be kind of the scenic route of where we're trying to get, but I think it's going to be good. So in Luke 15, don't turn there because we're not going there yet, and I don't want to mess with you. In Luke 15, um, you have this really cool moment where Jesus stands up and he starts to speak to people. And it's, it's really cool because when Jesus spoke to people, it was, it's weird to me, the people that listened. Like when Jesus would stand up and teach, it, you almost always had like the dregs of society. You, you had these guys that were like drug dealing, pimp, murder, like axe murdering. Like they, they just, the, the worst of the worst. And they were intrigued by Jesus and they would come in to listen to him. And then on this side... You would have the religious elect. You would have these guys that grew up in church that knew the Bible by heart. These guys that, man, they knew everything there was to know about Scripture, about the Bible, about all of it. But they missed Jesus. Like they couldn't put that piece in. And so these guys would sit there and they wouldn't come to listen. They would come to nitpick the things that Jesus was saying to try to find something wrong with it. And then in the middle of those two crowds, usually we had us. Right? You had the people who aren't really quite as screwed up as everybody else. We're not quite as religious as everybody else. We just kind of fit somewhere in the middle. We don't hear about that group very often because, tell me this isn't true, the really screwed up and the religious are always crazy loud. And they're usually so loud they overpower the normal people, right? And so when Jesus is speaking and he starts to tell this story, man, people everywhere, and you've got all ends of the spectrum. You've got the really messed up, the just normal, just trying to get through the day, and then you've got the religious better than everybody else I smell good, everybody else smells, smells terrible, people. And they're all sitting there listening. And so Jesus knows that they're there. And honestly, I don't think this is a stretch. I think when Jesus started telling this story, he knew you. And part of this story, he, in, in the back of his mind as he was telling this story, he had you on his, on his heart. He had you as a thought as he was telling this story. Because I think this story is so powerful, we miss part of it. So he starts to tell the story, greatest storyteller ever. Um, he, he starts to tell this story, and, and he starts with this. Man, there was this, this man who was incredibly wealthy. Tons of, he, he did everything right that you're supposed to. Completely successful. He had a couple kids. And, and one of his sons came up to him one day, and they, the, the son went to his dad. And, and men, fathers, listen to me for a second. Your son or your daughter comes up to you, and they, and they basically say this. Hey, Dad, I know you're super wealthy, um, and I know one day I'm going to get part of that. You're in way too good a shape. That's going to take forever. How about you give it to me now? Because by the time you die, I'm going to be too old to do anything fun. So you live, be happy, do your thing, man. Keep getting old. Keep being dad. But since I'm young and I'm gonna, I could enjoy it if you gave it to me now, give me now the inheritance that I'm going to get when you die. And the dad looks at his son and, and lovingly gives him this incredible amount of money. 
And the kid gets so stoked, man, he gets so excited. What, what does he do? Cabo! He runs off quick. <laughs> and dude, parties like crazy. He starts just like everything, man, anything and everything that's going to bring him temporary pleasure. This dude's on it. He, man, women, drugs, and you name it. This guy's just grabbing everything he can by the fistful and pulling it in. And he's, he's trying to find that peace. And he runs away from home because he doesn't want people to know what he's doing. <laughs> right? Because if he parties like that back home, ah, neighbors are going to know. Somebody's going to call dad. Dad will cut me off. So he, he runs. Parties like crazy, man. And then eventually he runs out. Eventually he runs out of money, which I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you run out of money, you usually run out of friends. And he finds himself broken and poor and just, just needy, homesick. Dude misses his dad. And so he starts to have this thought. He's like, man, this is, this is nuts. What was I thinking? He finally comes to his senses. He's I'm just going to go home, and I know I can't be your son anymore, but I'm going to go home, and I'm going to find my dad. And you're like, Dad, I can't be your son. I get that. I messed that up. Can you hire me as a slave? Man, make me a servant. If you'll hire me in, please, God, Dad, just, just hire me in as a, as a servant and let me work for you. I'll do anything. I'll, I'll clean the pigs. Dude, I'll, I'll wash mom's car. I'll do whatever you want. Just, man, just, just hire me back. And, and think again for the people who's listening. Because you, you've got the dregs of society. These guys who have messed up so much, they think that there's no way God could love them. These are the guys that when they, they're going to church and they're like talking to their friends, their friends are like, you're going to church? <laughs> you? <laughs> really? What church are you going to? Those, that's those type of people. They're like it's freaking people out that they're coming to church. And they're sitting there and I can't help but think as Jesus is telling this story, I can't help but think that they're like on the edge of their chair. They're just like hanging on every word. And they're, they're waiting and they're like, dude, that's me. I ran away from God. I get that. I, man, I, I did some stupid stuff. What, what happens? What, what happens to, to the son when he comes home? Man, does the dad love him? What happens when he comes home? Does, does the dad, does he give him a hug? When he comes back home, is he accepted? Is he hired? Is he still a son? Man, what happens? And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the religious elite who are probably sitting there, and they're probably not leaning forward, hanging on every word. They're probably reclined back in their chair, and they're, they're probably reciting some of the same things that they've told people. Idiot. <laughs> I told you this was going to happen. Man, you're stupid. How'd you not know you're going to go and you're going to do this? And they, they have that lecture just kind of planned out because, well, their, their stuff don't stink. And so they've got that set where they can just talk, man. They can just go in it, and, and they've, got that, they've got that judgment lined up. Then you've got us in the middle. We're not really the runaways that we really didn't do anything super crazy. We're really not all that religious. We're just kind of sitting in the middle. And I can't help but think that us, as, I'm, man, as, a, as you're hearing this story, what's next? Does the dad welcome him back? There's a central truth that's found in every teaching I think that Jesus ever spoke. And, and it's pivotal. And I guarantee you, if we can grab hold of it and set anchor to it, it will hold you tight. And when you drift, you're not going to drift very far. And, and it's simple. And it's this. You were a child of the king way before you ran away. You were a daughter of the king of the universe, ladies, long before sin entered into the picture. Men, you were a son of God himself long before you sinned. And this is huge because, and this is the truth, God is deeply and madly in love with you in spite of you. And if you can wrap hold of that and you can drop anchor on that, I guarantee you it's going to carry you through anything that this world has to offer too many of us, and tell me this isn't true, you've been in church settings for a while, you, you've heard people tell their story. Where do we start our story with? Oh, dude, man, I was messed up. I tried everything. Dude, life, life got hard. I, I was rolling and life just 
hit, and it was hard. I didn't know what else to do. I, I didn't have anything else, so I tried God. And, man, God saved my life and, and dra drastically changed. And we start with sin. You, you get that if your story starts with sin, your foundation is flawed, and you're never going to understand how much God loves you. And you can't understand how much God loves you because your story is gripped and it's built on the foundation of you being a screw-up. You were a child of the king way before you ran away. If you've got a Bible, man, go with me to Genesis. We're going to start this in the beginning and work our way back to Luke. So hopefully this will make sense. And I know some of you were expecting Pastor Lynn, um, and I'm sorry for that. So let me give you what I got real quick before we drive into Genesis. If you're expecting Pastor Lynn today... Um, Look, 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 look. Because, 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 because. That's all I got. Okay. So sorry, Lynn. When you watch this, that was Ray's idea. Um, so sorry. Whew. Huge mistake. Um, I've wanted to do that for like four years, though. Um, Genesis 3. Go Genesis 3, uh, verse 6 with me, and, and let's look at this. Worst idea ever. Um, <laughs> chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was, was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. This is the darkest story in history. I don't know how this makes it into VBS or children's material because this is the most Tim Burton, twisted, Stephen King, scariest moment that we have on the planet because this is the moment prior to this, this moment in time Everything is great. There's no sin anywhere on the planet. Everything is beautiful. It's exactly what God created. It's wonderful. And then this moment happens. And men, this is usually where we look at women and we're like, ladies, for real? Come on, women. Eve, what were you thinking? Because, right, because there's no, there's no rules. God basically laid them out on the planet. And he was like, hey, you guys can do whatever you want. You can eat from any tree. Dude, get guava, get kiwi, get some whatever that red fruit is. Eat whatever you want. Don't touch that tree. That tree's going to bring you harm. Stay clear of that. You can do anything. Just stay away from that one. And so many of us get confused with religion because religion confuses Jesus. And we think that God has given us so much rules. There, I can't ever be a Christian. Dude, there's so many rules. L let me help you. There's basically two rules. Love God and love people. Everything else is religion that we stack on top of that. If you will love God and love people, it's easy because that's, that's what we're called to do as Christians. And Adam and Eve had one basic rule. Man, do whatever you want. Stay away from this tree. And Eve went up and ate an apple. And men, that's where we look at women and are like, serious? And, and ladies, before you get mad at us for that, you got to understand something. Because if, if a naked woman offered a man anything, he's going to eat it. <laughs> um, and that's just the honest truth. It, it could have been anything. Because men, and men tell me I'm not right. Because y'all can't sit there and think, that's not true. No, yeah, it is. You would eat whatever it was. And men, before we get too excited about that moment and we get too righteous in that moment, understand this too. Adam was a spiritual leader of that, that relationship. And there's nowhere in that story where he's walking up to Eve going, hey, we shouldn't be around this tree. Hey, we should probably be on the other side of the garden. There's no moment in this where he's like, whoa, 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 put the apple down, Eve. Baby, baby, please, no. Hold on. There's no moment like that. You see, Adam was right there beside her. And when Eve took the fruit and she ate it, her husband, who was supposed to be leading her and was supposed to be guarding her and was supposed to be keeping her away from that, was right there. Look, look, go to verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden on the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. How many of us right now are in that, in that spot like Adam? We know we've messed up, and instead of coming back home to God, we run away and we hide. Like the story Jesus was saying, where he's talking about the kid who, who runs away, and he, he basically hides so that he can do whatever he wants. Adam messes up, and he realizes it, but instead of coming clean, he hears God coming, and, and he instantly hides from it. This is where too many of us start our story. Too many of us start with Genesis 3. We, are, we start in this moment of sin. We start in this moment of, man, I was a mess. And some of you, the story's a little bit different. Some of you are like, man, I just, I've been in church my whole life, and God's just done some great things. But for some of us, our whole identity is built on this foundation of how screwed up we were before Jesus. That's not the beginning of your story. Your story doesn't start at sin. It doesn't start with you being a runaway. Your story starts with you being a child, and you were a child way before you ran away. Let me show you what I mean. Go, turn the page to the left just a second. Go to Genesis 1 and look in verse 20. And, and this, this is where this gets cool. Verse 20 says this. And God said, let the water team with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expansion of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which water teams according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. You get that this is that beautiful moment of creation. This is that beautiful moment where God, for some reason, stretches out just a little bit and walks into an emptiness, a void. It's about to get funky. Grand Canyon. And it formed. And the angels, I'm sure, were like, oh, God, that's sick. And he's like, no, ain't nothing yet. Watch this. Trees. Whoosh, and trees started coming up. And, and I don't know if you put much thought into some of the creation of God. You understand cre trees don't have to be colorful. Why are they so beautiful? They don't have to be. Why are they like oranges and reds during the fall, and then they lose their leaves, and then they come back with this beautiful bright green? They, they don't have to do that. They could just be this drab gray where a tree but God loves you so much that he wanted to be pretty for you. And I think he wanted to show off and remind you that he's there. So he's like, no, check this out. This is going to be a beautiful sequoia. It's going to be so big around. It's going to freak with people's heads. And it's going to be huge. And it's going to produce flowers. And this is an orange tree. And it's going to produce these little blossoms that are going to smell so beautiful. And it's going to give some people asthma. And that's God's way of letting you know that you're still there. He did that for you. And, and he's, going to, he's going to build all of those. And he spoke. And that happened. And he's like, water. Like some people are gonna like to fish, fish. Some people are gonna be bad at fishing, Tim. And they, and he spoke, and those things happened. And then he even thinks sunsets with me just for a second, because this is Arizona, and we've got the best sunsets in the world. Think the most pretty man, the most beautiful sunset you've seen, which shouldn't take you long. Probably should just be a couple days ago. You realize that God just said sunset, and that happened. 
he spoke and the sky exploded with purples and oranges and man, just beauty and red and, and pink and violet. And he spoke and that just, just happened. It could just be night, day. You get that. It could be dark, light, dark, light, dark, light. Nope, going to get funky. Sunrise. And it was beautiful. And he did that because he knew some of you guys like to get up early. I don't know why, but some of you do. And he knew some of you are a lot smarter and you like to sleep late and you like to go to bed late. And so he was like, sweet, sunset. And it was beautiful. And he spoke those things. And then he started making creatures and he started building things like scorpions <laughs> that we have nine billion of. Next time you step on one, flip it over. Super cool. On their stomach, they have six holes. And they're called sphericals. Inside each of those holes is a book lung. It looks kind of like the pages of your Bible. It's where their lungs are formed and it just looks like pages. Um, that's where they breathe. Those are their lungs. They have a V-shaped thing right here on their chest. It's called a pectineal comb. The pectineal comb is how you know the boys from the girls because the boys have a huge comb and the females have a really small comb. It's pretty cool. If you flip them over, they're going to have eyes on the top of their head and eyes in the front of their head because when God said scorpion, he didn't give them a neck. And so they can't turn to the side. So they needed to be able to look above them. They needed to look ahead of them so they would know how to sting your foot. And so God put eyes on top of them <laughs> and eyes in front of them. You know, the female scorpions, they can breed one time and they can have multiple clutches of babies from one, from one breed. And when they have their babies, and this is gross, so stay with me, the, the females will have their live birth. They're born in little embryoic sacs, and usually the mom will take the baby and she'll eat the sac that the baby's born in. And I know that's gross, but the birthing process is so stressful to the mother, it depletes her calcium. The embryoic sac is full of that, so she'll eat the sacs off of her babies, and then she places her babies on her back, and that sac gives her strength to help protect the babies. She'll keep the babies on her back, usually for about, seven, for about seven days, because it takes one week for the scorpion skeletons to harden, because baby scorpions are, are born soft. Not like thug life soft. I mean, like their skeleton hasn't hardened. <laughs> Make sure we're clear on that. Their stinger hasn't hardened yet, and they can't protect themselves. So the mama scorpion will keep them on her back, and she'll even take food at, at times, and she'll get a cricket, and she'll rub it on the back of her head, and the little baby scorpions will come up, and they'll eat the cricket juice. And they'll do that for about seven days before the baby scorpions will molt, or they'll shed their skin kind of like a snake. And then the baby scorpions will run off of the mother, and then you step on them, and it's the circle of life. And that's <laughs> God spoke, and that happened. He just said the word scorpion, and, and all of that took place, and it formed. Look in verse 27, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let him, and let them rule over the flesh of the, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. You, you get that God spoke those things into being and it was beautiful. And it was amazing, and it was vibrant colors, and it was things that didn't have to be near as cool as it was, but God loves you so much, he spoke that, and it happened. But then we, this is good, then it came to you, and he was like, I can't speak that into existence, that's way too much. I, I'm going to have to, I, I got I to put me into this. I've, I've got three kids, and it amazes me how much like me they are. You should pray for them a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll do stuff, and I'll be like, what are you Oh, geez, that was me. Um, I know what you're thinking because I was exactly what I thought. People will look at them and they'll be like, hey, this is your son, right? And I'm like, yeah, this is your daughter, yeah. And I'll hold up baby pictures, but, and they, man, our baby pictures look almost identical. And people look at them and they know that they're my kids. And it's, 
I, I can't help but think that this is truth. I can't help but think that several times a day, God's strolling through heaven, and one of the angels walks up, and he's like, hey, have you seen my son? Check this out. And he pulls his wallet out. That one right there, that's Tim. Check it out right there. Yeah, he's got my beard. Do you see it? Look. That's my boy. Because I'm made in his image. And you get, whether you believe in Jesus today or not, I, I don't... That doesn't matter because it doesn't wash away the truth. You can scrub all you want, and you cannot remove the image of God from your life. You cannot remove the image of God from you because you were created in his image. Turn just a little bit to to Genesis 2 because it's it's even bigger than that. Somehow it is. Genesis 2 verse 7 says this. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. He spoke, and we get mountains. He spoke, and we get sequoias. He spoke, and we get butterflies. And, and then it came to you. You thought, oh, no, this, this is going to take some work. And it, he got down on his hands and knees, and he, and he got down in the dirt. And he was like, oh, dude, you're going to like basketball, make you tall. You're going to like baseball because you love Jesus. So he's going to make you, man, baseball. Started forming that in. It's like, oh, dude, you're going to love music. Can't wait for you to meet Jimi Hendrix. And, and started forming that and, and building that. And he put thought behind every part of you. Your hair, your eyes, your, your height, your weight, all of those things, God specifically thought through who you are and by hand formed you and designed you. So many of the things that we wish he would change, he put thought into making. And even bigger than that, after he formed you and he built you, it says that he breathed his life into you. That he put his breath into us to give us life. This is your story. It starts here. It it starts with creation. And long before you became a runaway, you were a child of the king. Ladies, long before sin entered into your life, you were a daughter of the king of the universe. You're a princess to the commander of heaven's armies. Men, long before sin entered into our world, long before we ran away and we chose something that we thought was going to bring us joy, long before those things happened in our life, you were a son of God. And long before we ran away, long before we ran away, we were a child of the king. And that beauty is way more primal than the ugly of sin. And it doesn't matter how hard you wash, you can't scrub God's masterpiece away. So let me ask you this before we go back to Jesus in Luke 15 and to that story. Some of you this morning and some of you that are hearing my voice right now, you think you've screwed up so much that there's no way God can love you. You've done so many stupid things in your life, and you might be right. You may have done some really, really dumb things. You cannot outsend God's grace. You cannot outsend God's love because this fundamental truth is he doesn't love you because of you. He loves you because of him, and it's always been because of him, and he loves you because you're his kid. And parents tell me this isn't true. No matter how much your kids mess up, you still deeply, madly love them. And they're still your kids. You may try to hide it sometimes. (laughs) But deep down, they're they're still your kid. Some of you have messed up so far, you think God can't love you. Hold on to this truth. You're not defined by that. That's not the foundation on which your life was built. You were a child way before you sinned. Way before you ran away. Now, Now, some of us haven't ran away. And I get that, because some of us that are, that are hearing me right now, you haven't really done anything super drastic. You're not really a runaway. You're just more of a sneak out the window. And if you're honest for a second, there's parts of your life where you may not have ran from God, 
but you're definitely waiting until the lights are out, tripping out the window, trying to get home before mom wakes up. And maybe it's different areas of your life. Maybe it's anger. Maybe you haven't ran away, but maybe you're just super angry at everything. Maybe it's finances. Maybe you're just not honoring God with, with how you take care of what he's blessed you with. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe, I don't know, there's tons of things that we sneak away from. If we were to be honest this morning, what's the one thing in our life that we're either running from or we're trying to sneak out and hide? That we're trying to get away from who God is and we're trying to hide from who God is because we're hoping he doesn't find out. Let me show you what happens in the story. Go with me now to Luke. Luke 15. Because this is hopefully where this gets beautiful, if it's not already. In Luke 15, this, this is where we, we started our journey this morning. This is where Jesus is telling the story, and the kid ran away, spent everything, and now he's coming home. And remember, he's coming home not to be a son, but he's coming home to be a servant because he thinks he's disqualified himself as being a son. So he's not coming back to be a, in a family. He's coming back to work for the family. Verse 20 of, of Luke 15, it starts with this. He says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Some of us are so afraid of coming home because we're afraid of judgment. We're so afraid of, of getting out of the lifestyle that we know is far from God because we're afraid if we come back to God, the judgment that we're going to receive. Can I just tell you this? God isn't looking to judge you. He's looking to set you free. And I don't know if you've caught this, the parallels in this story. You see, when Jesus was telling the story, and again, he's telling it to the religious elect, this really, really messed up, and the people in between, and he's telling this story, you understand who the characters are. The kid in the story that runs away, that's us, because all of us, no matter, how, no matter how good you think you smell, you're still funky. And there's still some stuff in there that people just don't know about, and I don't care how good you are, you still, you haven't, you're not perfect, and there's still parts of your life that shouldn't be, and you've still ran away at some point. And as Jesus was telling this story, the, the runaway is us. The dad is God. And, and I love this story because it, it almost, man, when the, the kid is coming home, it, it says that the dad was on the porch. And it's almost like the, the dad was sitting there kind of like this, like he's looking out on the horizon. And he's just waiting. Man, I know my son's coming back. I know my daughter's coming home. But man, where are they at? I know they're coming. Where, and he's out there looking. And, and when he sees him, he doesn't wait for the kid to get home. Dude, he busts a sprint out, Jesse Owens style to him. He takes and he, he runs out and grabs hold of his son. And he doesn't meet him with a lecture. You idiot. I told you this was going to happen. This is why you don't give your inheritance early because now you got nothing. When I die and I do retire, whatever happens, you have nothing. He doesn't meet him with a lecture. He doesn't meet him with disappointment. He doesn't meet him with guilt. He doesn't meet him with condemnation. He meets him with a robe, a hug, a kiss, and a ring. And he grabs him and says, dude, come on home. Hey, kill the cow because we're fixing the barbecue Texas style. It's going to be legit. Put that beast on the slow cooker because we're going to party. And let's celebrate. 
My kid who was dead is alive. My child that was lost is found, and they've come home. Let's celebrate. You get that God isn't looking to condemn you. He's just looking to throw a party for you to come home. And maybe it's time some of you came home. Maybe some of you have ran so far you think God can't love you. Will you please listen to this fundamental truth? You were loved way before you ran. You were a child long before you sprinted, long before you chose sin, thinking it was going to bring you joy, long before you made that decision. You were a child of the king of the universe, and he madly, passionately, and deeply loves you. And he is so proud of you. And he so desperately wants you to come home. And maybe this is that moment, and maybe that's the best way to start off this Easter time, is for you to stop running and just to come home and to to realize you're not getting condemnation, you're getting a ring, a robe, and a party. Because I guarantee you, when you come home, heaven is gonna break open and angels are gonna get funky. And if we knew what we were doing, we would celebrate with you. Some of you, man, we just, we just sneak out the window. We haven't ran away. We just, there's just areas of our life that we're just constantly, we think God, I don't know, we think we can hide it from God or it's really not that big a deal. We just need to come home. We need to stop trying to hide that from God and go to the Father and say, man, God, I need help. Will you help me with this? Some of us are so religious right now. We're driving people away from Jesus because we think we are so good. Everybody else that sins differently than us is so evil. And we're pushing people away because we're so religious and and we've got to quit. We have to stop being religious and start being like Jesus. And we have to start loving people the way that God loves us. Because I guarantee you, if you forgive and love people the way that God loves you, it's going to be really hard for you to judge somebody. I think, I think it's time we, we do two things. I think it's time we come home, and I think it's time we celebrate. <laughs> I think it's time that we start celebrating the fact that long before we ran away, we were a child of the king. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for today. Jesus, thanks for loving us. Thank you for this this moment. God, I thank you for this truth, this fundamental core truth, God, that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter what we've done, that we have never outsend your grace, God, that we have never outsend your love, that we have never pushed ourselves so far away that you have no clue where we are. And through all of this, man, just like the story, God, you're waiting on the porch, just, just waiting for us to come home. Not so you can judge us, but so that you can welcome us with open arms and give us a hug, God, and welcome us into the family and celebrate. God, in this moment, I know there's people in the sound of my voice right now that are so, they just feel like they've screwed up past your love. Would you help this truth, God, be fundamental in their hearts right now? Would you let this set them free? The fact that you don't hate them, that you're not disappointed, but God, that you are so, you are so in love with them. And you're just waiting for him to come home. Let it start with a conversation between you and God like this that says, man, God, if this is true, I want to come home. Would you forgive me? God, welcome me. Pull me back. God, I I want to come back home and start the journey. For those of us, God, that are so religious that we, we forget that people, that we're also in that same mix. And no matter how good we are, we're still really screwed up. God, would you help us to stop judging people for sinning differently than us? and start loving people the way that you love us. And God, for those of us that just sneak out on the weekends, (laughs) that we just crack the window open and hope we get home before mom and dad wake up, would you help us to realize the danger behind that? And God, would you help us to, man, help us to stop choosing sin, thinking it's gonna bring us joy. 
And God, in this moment, will you remind us of this core truth and will you set this as an anchor in our soul that long before we ran away, we were a child of the King. Jesus, we ask this in the, in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.